Azure AD is a completely separate animal from AD. It's a separate identity store and it synchronizes accounts between them, but it's not really the same account. Azure AD has kind of this source anchor attribute, so it knows, hey, I represent this AD account, but they are completely separate. Mobile workforces, cloud applications, and digitalization are changing every aspect of the modern enterprise. And with radical transformation come new business risks. Welcome to Hybrid Identity Protection, the premier podcast for cybersecurity pros charged with defending hybrid identity environments. Presented by Semperis, the pioneers of identity-driven cyber resilience for the hybrid enterprise. And now, here's your host, 15-time Microsoft MVP and Active Directory security expert, Sean Duby. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the HIP podcast. In the Microsoft world, the cloudy part of an on-premises cloud computing architecture is Azure. And in case you've ever wondered how to pronounce it, Mark Rosinovich once told me to say, Azure moving your on-premises applications to the cloud. Microsoft Azure is massive. It has presence in more than 60 regions around the world. And underpinning Azure's identity, and therefore its security, is Azure Active Directory, an almost incomprehensibly large cloud identity and access management service that manages more than 1.2 billion identities and processes more than 8 billion authentications daily. Though it shares the name Active Directory with its venerable on-premises counterpart, under the covers, that's where the resemblance stops. So if you live in this hybrid identity environment, as most of us do, how do you secure this beast? My guests today are John Saville and Doug Davis. John's history as a master explainer goes way back. He was known as the NT-FAQ guy for many years, and I should emphasize that is F-A-Q, not F-A-T, and his car even had that license plate. In recent years, he's turned his sights on Azure and is the creator and presenter of the Onboard to Azure series of YouTube videos with almost 57,000 subscribers. And that's just his side hobby. His day job at Microsoft is as principal cloud solution architect for one of the Fortune 15 companies. Welcome, John. Hey, thanks for having me. And uh, of course, I'd like to welcome back my colleague, Doug Davis, senior product manager for Semperus, focusing on Azure Active Directory. Welcome back, Doug. Thanks, Sean. Great to be back. It's fantastic. These podcasts keep growing in popularity and focus, so it's been great. Well, this is fun because you know John and I uh, haven't had a chance to really talk too much about Azure Active Directory, especially around aspects of security and all that. And for someone that is trying to wrap their head around it, trying to understand the differences between the two, and how do you you know, lots of organizations have started with Office 365, now Microsoft 365. And then what they find is, oh, I've got this Azure Active Directory thing underneath. And they're trying to figure out how to secure it and what are the differences and all that. And so maybe, John, let's start with that. What are the the big differences between on-premises Active Directory and Azure Active Directory? Yeah, so I think it's really kind of the idea that, hey, yeah, like Active Directory was this great directory service for on-premises. We have this ability to have secrets between machines. It spoke great things like Kerberos, but it really was focused around services within my little island. There was a moat around me, I had the network, 
and we had lots of ports open and it, it kind of worked when we had that trusted set of secrets between us. And then this cloud thing came along and we started to broach the idea of, well, can I use my AD identity in the cloud? We had things like federation, ADFS, third parties, SAML, etc., that avoided the need to have to have these separate credentials on all these cloud services. But there's a lot of work really around setting up those federated relationships and companies wanted kind of a different set of security and help when I think about cloud first. And so obviously Microsoft created Azure AD and to your point, it's got AD in the name, but I think really that's just marketing. There's really nothing AD about Azure AD. It's not built on domain controllers in the cloud. Azure AD is obviously focused on being a cloud identity provider. So some of the natural things that means is it doesn't speak Kerberos. It doesn't speak NTLM. I can't have a secret between everything that ever might want to authenticate or authorize against Azure AD. Instead, it speaks cloud. If we think about OAuth 2 for kind of that delegation and authorization, if you think OpenID Connect that's built on that, even SAML and WS Fed. So Azure AD is designed to be that cloud identity provider. It speaks the cloud languages and it has the security differences that really apply when we suddenly have the world trying to authenticate against us. Uh, but at the same time, we have an AD and we probably want to extend that into Azure AD. So there are ways to take my AD account and hey, I want to replicate and synchronize accounts to Azure AD, which is things like Cloud Sync. So to your point, uh, when people kind of get this Office 365 thing, they're told to, well, run this Azure AD Connect and they get this Azure AD thing and the accounts look like they're the same. And the point of that is that that Azure AD, cloud services can trust that to be that identity provider and it's gonna offer the services that they need like access tokens and refresh tokens and identity tokens that really make cloud things tick. You know, one of the aspects of this hybrid service, as you say, is connecting on-premises to Azure Active Directory. And it's been done different ways over the years. It, Microsoft used to recommend ADFS you know, to have federation so that you're always authenticating against your on-premises service. Those recommendations have changed over the years. Can you maybe expand on that a little bit? Yeah, so initially the goal was, hey, look, so we want to use these cloud services. And before Azure AD, really the way to do that was a federation. I would have to do some kind of federation against that resource service whatever that might be, and it allowed that service using things like SAML to actually authenticate using our local Active Directory. But that was kind of painful to set up. And so then Azure AD came along as that cloud provider, and it now can actually be that identity provider. Now, initially, what they would say is, look, yes, you've got Azure AD, but what we want you to do is set up ADFS between Azure AD and AD. And it's like, wait, why, why am I doing that? And it was really this idea that 
passwords. I don't want to have to think about signing in again when I use something that trusts Azure AD. So the reason initially they would say, hey, Azure AD, you should set up ADFS to your AD is so I could get a single sign-on. It's so that as a user, if I'm sitting at my domain joined machine on a network that can talk to a domain controller, I would seamlessly be able to authenticate to Azure AD and therefore any service that trusted Azure AD. But as things have moved on, there's now things like, hey, we can do pass-through authentication. We can actually do a seamless sign-on without having to do federation that gives us exactly the same experience for the end user, but we can get rid of what is a fairly heavyweight set of infrastructure for ADFS. If you think about ADFS, I have to have kind of these proxies at the front that are internet facing, so I have to secure them. Then I have a farm of ADFS servers. So there's a lot to maintain. There's a lot that can be attacked. There's a lot that can fail. And it's really not buying me very much in terms of additional security because once you start looking at the cloud, once you start working out, well, how does cloud actually do its authentication? Okay, I authenticate and I know I get this refresh token thing and I get this short-lived access token thing. And sure, if I have a federation, it uses that for the first ever auth of kind of the day. But then once I have that refresh token, when I go and access other things, it doesn't use it anymore. So trying to put my security and my checks there doesn't make sense. It won't get called. I have to move my security checks actually up into Azure AD with things like conditional access. The migration of the recommendations over time has been very interesting because, of course, when Password Hash Sync first came out, originally called just Password Sync, which was confusing, but when Password Hash Sync first came out, people were, including myself, were very skeptical of it. We didn't like the idea of replicating uh, password information in the cloud. And that's since gone much more mainstream as people have understood what it is really all about. And at the same time, incidents like SolarWinds, quite ironically, uh, you know, conservative security department said, no, we must authenticate on-premises. Therefore, we must have ADFS. Whereas SolarWinds used ADFS as an attack vector to get into the cloud services. Right, I think A, it was poorly named. So I think as soon as you say, hey, password sync, people are like, no way, you don't want my plain text password copied up somewhere. Whereas the reality is, well, in AD, we have kind of a password hash that's stored. And then when we replicate that to Azure AD, it takes a hash of that hash. There's kind of a per user sort. There's a thousand iterations. So you can't reverse right. it. And it doesn't just enable me then to not have to have federation or pass authentication. It lets me do native cloud orgs. But if you think about it, if Microsoft then has that hash of the hash, it can actually improve my security because this great big kind of cybersecurity team at Microsoft that are scouring the dark web. Well, if they have that hash of the hash, when they're scouring the dark web and they find, hey, look, there are these leaked credentials and there's some passwords published, they can actually compare that by running it through the same hash of the hash algorithm to work out this hash. They can compare that to what's in Azure AD. And if it matches, well, they know there's been a leak of your actual password. They can notify you of that and then protect you against kind of a breach replay attack. They can tell the user, look, you've got to do an MFA and change your password. 
So it can actually improve my security by having that password hash of the hash in Azure AD, even if I didn't use it, even if I was using federation or password authentication, I still wanna put that hash of the hash in there. Yes, partly for break glass if something else happens, but so it can help my security by actually going and being able to do these other types of checks. And there's other things to it as well. That brings up a very important difference between Active Directory and Azure Active Directory. Azure Active Directory, in a way, is a partnership with Microsoft. You know, they're continually evaluating things across all these tenants and sharing security risks between them. And, you know, it, it is daunting to be moving to Azure Active Directory after spending, you know, 20 years on, on Active Directory, but you're not doing it alone, at least. And your moat analogy was good because I think of Azure Active Directory as kind of a castle with drawbridges almost everywhere. You need to have somebody guarding every drawbridge and you can't guard each one uh, individually. So that is a, a crucial difference between the two. And now you're looking outwardly versus inwardly. It does change perspective as well. But I think that is a crucial point to, th to think about is that, you know, you're not in this alone. You have, you know, a lot of machinations happening in the background to keep these things that, uh, you know, an organization on their own probably wouldn't be able to handle. So, yeah. No, I mean, exactly right. So Azure AD is essentially a managed identity provider. Yes, there are still things you have to do, like say, okay, well, there are these accounts, but in terms of security, I can actually, there's, there's we've kind of talked about the security default things, but there are these services that I can turn on that will then start looking at things like risk. Hey, I'm seeing these signals from not just your tenant, but other tenants of, people trying to access multiple identities from a single IP, that's suspicious. Hey, look, we're detecting impossible travel. This same account is trying to connect from England and then five seconds later from New York. Well, that's not possible. That's kind of suspicious. So that anomalous behavior, it can kind of flag. So there's a whole set of things it brings to the table that for an on-prem AD would be super hard for us to actually do. And also one of the things is that Microsoft continues to expand their capabilities. Are there some of the newer technologies that you're excited about because it continues to hone and defend uh, as they're moving forward? There's constantly sort of improvements across all the services. We see in a lot of movement around kind of external identities, the idea that, hey, look, there are these external people that have an identity. And there was always this big difference between kind of a business, a B2B and a customer, a B2C scenario. But they're starting to kind of bring those things together under this external identities and starting to try and get this commonality between the types of identity and the features we can use. But also if you look at things like conditional access, the conditional access is phenomenal. Hey, I could target particular cloud applications. I can target particular scenarios like a location or the health of the device. I can do things like the risk of the device and then set conditions. Maybe I block it, maybe I require MFA, whatever I want to do. But sometimes it's like, well, that's not enough. Maybe that cloud app I'm accessing has different levels of access, different levels of data, take SharePoint. Maybe ordinarily, sure, one type of check is enough, but maybe I'm accessing a high privilege set of data so I actually want a different policy to apply. So authentication context is something they kind of recently announced. And I can now basically set a label. And authentication context is nothing more than a label, really. But that label, I can then tie to a particular conditional access policy. 
And then within the application, like SharePoint, I could say, hey, to access this data, I wanna see this authentication context. For example, maybe that authentication context is strong authentication, i.e. MFA. So then on the conditional access policy that I link to that context, I would say, hey, I require strong authentication. So now ordinarily, maybe I don't require MFA to just access my SharePoint. But when I try and access this top secret information, that data is tagged needing this authentication context, it will go and make me step up and do a strong auth. So I think as we start to look at these more complex scenarios that have these mix of different requirements, that is huge. I think that is gonna be a game changer in really a lot of different things. So that that's pretty exciting. That's something I'm playing with at the moment um, because I'm kind of looking forward to actually getting some apps and seeing that actually in action. So that's something that's kind of, I think, exciting right now. The other thing is they've kind of announced as well is it's kind of this whole continuous access evaluation. And this, this comes back to this idea that I talked about access token. And the access token is, hey, this thing that Azure AD gives you for a certain app that's typically limited to an hour. And the reason they limit it to an hour is because I can't take it back. Like it, it's a set of permissions, it's a stamped passing effect that I can give to something and it will honor it. So we have to make them fairly small in case something happens and I need to kind of go backwards and say, actually, no, 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 something goes wrong. I don't want them to be able to keep accessing that. So they can only access it for kind of up to an hour. With continuous access evaluation, you actually get this partnership between the resource provider and Azure AD. And what it can now do is, well, I can say I want to be told about events. So if I give them my access token, but Azure AD has maybe disabled that account, it will go and tell that resource provider, actually, John, no, don't, don't trust the tokens anymore. So even though I give it a valid access token, it's gonna say, no, no, go away. Um, you need to give me a new access token. This one's no good. It can even get things like policy. And policy could be like, hey, look, these are the locations that users are allowed to use. Well, if I got my token, and then I took my laptop to somewhere else and tried to access it again, it knows what the policy was and says, you're not, you're not really tracking that anymore. So no, I'm not gonna let you sign in. You need something different. So there's really these fantastic things we're seeing that I think just help with the overall security, but also the, the functionality and experience of the users. So those are things I'm excited about at the moment. The, the conditional access evaluation to me, you know, in my years as a consultant, this addresses the scenario that the security people would always bring up, which is, you know, let, what if the CEO authenticates and then he leaves the office and he goes to a Starbucks and he still has the same access token for that amount of time. But continuous access evaluation is designed to handle situations like that, correct? Exactly. Right. Because it can actually say, hey, tell me the policy. And the policy is like, well, look, these were the kind of the allowed locations for this. And then when it gets that token, it says, well, you're not, you're not really playing by this anymore. I'm not going to let you in. And so exactly to your point, that's, that's the key part of this. And what it's going to let me do is have longer lived access tokens. If we have this continual access evaluation, I'm not so worried about this super short lived token anymore. I could give it a longer lived token because I know if I need to, 
you know what? I, I can still cancel it. I can still, if the account gets disabled or password changes or they revoke all their tokens, I can still then deny access to that resource. So we can start to have longer lived tokens that have other benefits for that end user experience. You bring up something that is a source of great confusion to people that are not understand necessarily how these tokens work and how they interact with multi-factor authentication. When you turn on MFA and users get challenged for MFA far less than they expected, especially the security people, and they don't, because you're not getting banged over the head with MFA challenges, they think that it's not working. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, so once I've done a strong auth, that effectively gets marked as part of my token. So my refresh token at this point knows, hey, look, I've, I've got a strong auth and the access tokens that are then generated from the refresh token are marked as a strong authentication. So if I then have something that requires MFA, maybe a continue access um, policy, for example, so a conditional access, well, yes, it requires MFA, but I've already done an MFA. The token I'm giving it says, hey, a strong authentication was performed. So I'm meeting that criteria. So requiring MFA doesn't mean every time you access it, you have to perform MFA or strong authentication. It just means you have done it at the point in the chain. So if my first authentication of the day was with strong authentication, and we keep saying MFA, and obviously MFA is a form of strong authentication, but what we're trying to get to even more is like passwordless. So, hey, my authenticator app, my token. So there's not even a password that's then used with kind of some MFA thing. I can actually go passwordless and that would be a strong authentication. Like hello for business, that's a strong authentication because I'm at a specific machine that has kind of that TPM that generates that token because it's something I have. I, I have that particular machine and then I unlocked that machine with either something I know or something I am, like a, a biometric. So that is a strong authentication. There were two things involved in that, that particular machine and then the unlocking of that machine. And so that gets marked in that token and then passed through to whatever service I'm using. Well, John, thank you very much for joining us in your busy schedule between YouTube and uh, architecting. We have our Hybrid Identity Protection Conference Europe coming up uh, at the end of this month with a bunch of interesting speakers. Thanks again. Thanks for joining us on the Hybrid Identity Protection Podcast with Sean Duby. Be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen. Visit hipconf.com, that's H-I-P-C-O-N-F.com to learn about upcoming events, view expert presentations, and take part in the conversation.